Hey everyone and welcome to part two of our SummerSlam 1992 review. Wax is such a big event that we couldn't fit it into one show, so we split it into two parts and really going into the business end. But um, how have you been feeling since we had our part one, which was a few days ago? Excited to get to part two, Fash, because this is the big part of the event. Two big main event matches, three maybe, um, if you count the middle one that we're going to talk about, but big characters on this show Big memories for us. That's why we had to split this up into two. Yeah, and it's great reminiscing about all those moments, watching them again. Um, but yeah, I think we're at the business end, as I say, because I think these are the moments now that are the most memorable of this event, certainly as we go into to the last three matches, but there's two particular ones. And we'll be kicking it off with the big one, um, the WWF title match in Wax. Before we get there and we do our little VT, I just want to say that I now have been the world podcasting champion for eight months, actually a little bit over eight months. So it's probably the longest reign in the history of the World Podcasting Federation. And, you know, you've tried to challenge me across the world, the globe, but I've still got the gold. So the challenge is there. Am I going to hit a year? Am I going to be champion as long as I want to be? I think so. I think I'm going to hold this title until I feel like holding it. So the champ is here. The gold is here. So let's talk about the match in 1982 between the Ultimate Warrior, the Macho Man Championship Gold. I know all about it. You don't, but let's talk about the match. Okay, fine. So here it is the big match Macho Man versus Ultimate Warrior. Macho Man, obviously, is the champion. We thought coming into this, Mr. It would be Ric Flair versus. Uh, macho man but actually Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair are playing somewhat of a sideshow to this whole match which is the most interesting element of this we don't know which corner Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair are going to end up on um, just before the match kicks off it's probably one of the first pay-per-views that um, there's been a sort of full recap of an angle um, before a big match um, and we'll know from here on onwards um, you know that is actually a really big part of the pay-per-view presentation. And I think something WWF, WWE has always done really well is those big match build-ups. Absolutely. And, uh, yep. Build-ups to the big events. But uh, Warrior comes out first. He gets a really strong reaction from the crowd, as you would expect. Um, and a similarly big cheer for the Macho Man. But I thought during the match that changed a little bit and the fans very much had their favourite. Um, who would you say that favourite was? certainly it was the ultimate warrior I felt that as well I mean even coming out like say because it was an arena show I was trying to gauge because you know you remember things but it was difficult to tell just because it is a bit of a cauldron but I felt warrior shaded it but when it got to the match absolutely you could hear some boos and you know warrior was definitely a man I know as you know I was a big warrior fan there but wax one thing I want to say before we get into the match was even back at this age I was a traditionalist because I remember being really confused as to why this match was placed where it was. So I think I had been conditioned in the year that I'd been watching wrestling that the WWF title match goes on last. And this to me was the two biggest stars, right? So I could not understand, even though it was obvious what they were trying to do with the British Bulldog, the hometown hero in the main event. I really didn't like this at time, I remember, and thought it was a bit of anticlimax that this big match was taking place where it was. Do you recall anything like that? Thinking because it was the first time, right, that the title match wasn't, essentially the big main event last match on the card. Yeah, it's actually been a bad year for the World Championship at WrestleMania as well. Actually, this, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, had a mid-tier main event match 
Um, and obviously Hulk Hogan was the... But that was still double main event, right? That was presented. I mean, outside of the shows, I don't think any point in the build-up to this, and we've ran through it, did they say that Bret Hart and British Bulldog is a main event? We saw it at the time, even as an intercontinental title match. Yes, the Bulldog's there. Whereas, you know, this, the main event was very much Warrior against Savage. So I just thought at the time it was weird. And even now... Explained the reasoning behind it. It was just sort of assumed that it's because it's a British hero the Bulldog coming out. There's another theory as well. I think the theory definitely was the Bulldog, but I think there might have been a second one, but we'll dig into that as we go through the match. Yep. As the two competitors are coming to the ring, um, Vince McMahon asks where Mr. Perfect is, assuming Bobby Heenan would know. Heenan says he's been kept out of the loop on purpose in this one, um, which is interesting considering all three spent quite a lot of time together over the, over the past six months or so. At the start of the match, before the match even starts, Macho Man offers his hand to the Ultimate Warrior, who eventually takes it, but kind of leads to a stare-off, and that's what starts the sort of pushing and shoving. Um, this was great. This had a big-time feel, right? I was just looking at it in the circling chair, the handshake, the tug, the crowd was into it. This felt like a proper big-time match. Yeah, great outfits as well. Uh, Ultimate Warrior is wearing this sort of uh, inside-of-your-body type outfit, showing all his uh, the inner muscles, and Macho Man with his bright yellow and pink, something that we're probably quite used to seeing Macho Man in. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's two of the main eventers at this point. I don't think you could name a third that would come in here, maybe Undertaker potentially. Yeah, but I think he was still on the rise. Yeah. Are still some way away from the top. But I think you would say Macho Man and Warrior were definitely your top two talents in the WWF at this time. Yeah, definitely top two baby faces. And then you could say then it's um, The Undertaker. And this is it. It's the clash between two baby faces. The first time, as you said, WrestleMania 7, it was heel against face. Here, as we say, the, the intrigue was also how the, the crowd would react. And I thought, you know, in terms of a good pace, Matchman, as you'd imagine, set the pace here. And it's pretty frenetic, you know, in terms of frenetic, I should say, um, as they went going. And Warrior, I think, in the early stages, did his part. There's a couple of bits where I thought, you know, he was a little bit maybe... <laughs> stiffer than he could, than he should be but I thought you know it was a really good beginning as well they really started it off well and um, from a psychology point of view but also you know the, the kind of pace that was being set very early and I think what's great about Macho Man is you know he can lead a match and he can you know work off the audience so when he starts getting a few boos and cheers when he's attacking the warrior he's he starts almost um you know playing out like a, a heel character uh, in the ring some of the move sets that he does um you know Warrior catches Macho Man off the top rope in really impressive fashion. That was really well done. Uh, I think Warrior goes through a phase where he just does Irish whip after Irish whip with a few yeah, points well, in between. He loves a clothesline, doesn't he, the Warrior? Uh, but, you know, Vince McMahon was really into it on, on commentary. He was really big in this matchup. Um, and it's probably about 15 minutes into the match when... And uh, it's 15 minutes, and people think the Warrior can't have long matches, but with Savage... With Rick Rude, you know, he went there and I, yeah, I, this this was good, but like, carry on. I just want to make the point that this wasn't a short. You mentioned you match. weren't sitting there thinking, you know, when is this going to be over? Yeah. Uh, this is a, a really good match, similar to the WrestleMania match they, they had uh, about 18 months before this. And you're right, if you put somebody in there with the Warrior who knows how to lead a match, you know, a, a really strong performer in the Macho Man, um, Rick Rude, you know, he can have a really good match. Um, he's got the the talent, you know, there to, to do what to he needs off. to do. And you know what I always love about him? And I think Hogan, Warrior, and Savage, these three, they're great at selling. So, you know, the Warrior people talk, he's got a good talent ever, but he is a great seller of offense. And we've talked about that over time. You know, Randy Savage, obviously, just a great worker, but Warrior was 
really reacting well to everything and and that's what created the jeopardy and obviously as all this is going on the back and forth we're still not seeing Mr Perfect or Ric Flair yeah so as I mentioned about 15 minutes into the match both Perfect and Flair come to the ringside the first sort of involvement is Mr Perfect trips the macho man and that straight away that's you thinking has the warrior sold out incredible um and you know the crowd thinks so too i think because suddenly the vibe changes a little bit and the warrior starts getting a few jeers from the crowd um you know almost as if they're sensing the same thing that uh, you know he's sold out um it's like the then, ear came out of the arena wasn't it it's like his booze but it's more this kind of shock shock that it could be the warrior uh there's a ref bump shortly after um and the warrior has macho man pinned but no uh Macho Man escapes, I think, after a really long um, attempt. And there's a second ref bump. The same Macho Man has him pinned. And again, it's really great the way they're building the story here. Yeah. Each man has the other one dead to rights, but there's no ref to back it up. Um, and this time, it's perfect grabs Warrior um, and Flair uses the f- sort of fake knuckles to punch Warrior. And now the you're thinking... Knuckles. The brass knuckles. And you're thinking, this has to be the Macho Man who's sold out to... To Flair and Perfect. Obviously, if you're a little bit older than we were at the time, you, you know exactly what's happening. You know what's I'll be honest, Ray, I'm going to big myself up. I think as an eight-year-old, I'd, I'd, at this point, I thought, I'm going back to, say, 1992, and I thought, you know what? Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect have ruined this main event, and they were lying throughout, but maybe I wasn't. But yeah, I was still at the time hoping it's Macho and it's not Warrior that, that turned you. Yeah, backing up what's happening in the ring, Bobby Heaton's actually really good on commentary. Oh, he's you're just changing like the wind, you know, as to who who who's sold out for for, for like Macho Man sold out and he goes Warrior sold out. He just he's really good in the way he sells it to to those watching at home. Um, you know, Warrior breaks a pin off the flying elbow. It's a really slow count by the referee. Um, yeah, I was a bit one of the first times probably you've seen a, a flying elbow off the top that's not led to a pin. Uh, well, well, well. One Warriors the only one that does it. Rest of me, so I think I think Warriors the only one, and Hogan, of course, that have done that. But but certainly, Babyface Matchman typically gets the win when he goes for the big elbow. Yeah, we're really at the, the sort of crux of the the match now. And this thing, Warriors hit by the chair from Flair, uh, <coughs> and, and that's match, the moment, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, I think that's what they're doing. Matchman sort of catches onto the plan at this point. He knows uh, he hesitates. I think what happens is Warriors on the floor. Yeah, Matchman gets up, sees him on the floor. He knows he didn't put him on the floor. Yeah, um, he's going to go up to the top ring for another elbow, but then the top decides, rope, yeah. you, you know, Rickler's standing right next to him, right? So he goes, No, this is not right. So he does a sort of double axe hammer below on Flair. Um, and that's when we know the baby faces are, are you know, sort of uniting to get rid of Flair and Perfect. Well, that was the big moment, wasn't it? And I apologise. I mean, we're, we're recording quite late here, so you're probably noticing Wax is butchering all the names of the moves, but we'll let him off. He's uh, He's got a young baby and he's been out all day, so he's shooting here. But you're right. I mean, it's that moment because the old matchman, the bad matchman, he would have taken advantage of it, right? But it's great, as you say, Warriors in the ascendancy and he's been attacked, so matchman gets up knowing that it's not him that's caused it. And there's that moment when he's on the top rope and then, yeah, he delivers the axe handle to, to Ric Flair. Um, and he gets a chair to the knee um, from Flair. Um, and at this point where Warrior was previously dazed, gets a chair of his own and sort of runs off um, Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair to the back. Well, there's a count out first, isn't it? So there's obviously what happens is Warrior's in the ring um, the macho man's been hit with the chair because he's went and attacked them and he gets counted out. So that kind of takes the air out of the building and, and it's announced that the warrior is the, the winner, but 
the title can't change hands on a count out. And as you say, he then takes the chair and he chases the heels away while the macho man is on the ground, um, you know, essentially selling the, the chair shot and, and the treachery of Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect. And for all of those that love a happy ending, while you're mixing way back towards the ring, grabs a belt, hands it over to Macho Man, and they sort of, you know, hug and celebrate in the ring together. Uh, Macho Man really selling that knee injury. Yeah, because it's the title again, isn't it? It's that moment that we always love in wrestling. Warriors got the championship. What is he going to do? Is he going to whack the Macho Man with it? But if you look back to it, Wax, you know, leading into this, there was a lot of bad blood, you know, a lot of mistrust, what's going to happen. But actually, Warrior being the good guy, he hands over the title to the Macho Man, lifts his arm, and yes, very much they are they are together now, and you know they've got two guys to deal with, and then that's as you say that happy ending. But you know, in terms of a few questions for you, because we've kind of fast forward and talked about the match, because really we need to talk about the match, but not move for move. Um, what was your views? Compare this to the WrestleMania 7 match. What did you prefer? What do you think was better? And then any other general thoughts? And then maybe I can hit you with some of the backstage stuff or rumors that have kind of continued to this day. Yeah, I mean, I would put the WrestleMania match above this just because of the stakes yeah. that were, um, there wasn't necessarily just a, a world title match back then. It was a retirement match for the Macho Man. And, you know, I thought that really added to it. And then the ending, obviously, there wasn't this whole whole sort of mess with flair and perfect involved which i thought really added to this match it didn't take away from it we knew we were going to get something along those lines and i wasn't really disappointed when they got involved but i thought again macho man warrior they work really well together um and the great thing that comes out of this is the ultimate maniacs are born oh my favorite my favorite combo but as we know it's gonna be a sad end to that but as you say for that short period and we'll talk about it next i can't wait talking about its next phase of the survival series it was a great combination. The, the look, the promos, everything about it is wrestling at its best. It's even in our opening. If you obviously watch the opening of this show, we've got a clip from them being that tandem. But, you know, the thing is, Wax, I still remember at the time being very disappointed um, that Warrior wasn't the champion because I say I was a big Warrior mark here. That disappointed me. But as a match, I'd agree with you. I think the WrestleMania 7 match is superior to this just in terms of the story of the match and, and the delivery, but I thought this was still very good. I remember enjoying it then. I remember enjoying it when I watched it some years after, and now re-watching it, I still thought it was a great match between the two, really epic, big time. Once again, we keep talking about the crowd adds to it. I loved it that, you know, now we've got Nightfall here, yeah, Wembley Stadium, so we start off, you know, it's daytime and now it's the... And it was just a shame about the ending, but I thought a great match. Um, but, you know, there's a few rumours that people still talk about, Wax, in relation to this match. Uh, let me ask you a quick question. Why, yeah, sure. did, why was Warrior not the champion again at this point? Well, do you know what? Let, let's go weird and step because we know what happens after this, right? There's an interview with Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect where they talk about, you know, now they're going to move on to, is it Plan B, they call it? That was Plan A. And I think that moment, you know, they call it the Warrior specifically. So I think at this moment in time, when we don't know what's going to happen next, I think the plan was Warrior versus Ric Flair, right? I think what we're going to see in a few days, and we'll talk about it, Ric Flair becoming the champion again. I think that's what they're setting up, and Warrior would have won it, say Royal Rumble, and taken it further. Um, but yeah, it's it's to your point, you know, why not? I think Matchman probably still deserved to be champion, um, given he'd been a loyal, you know, uh, wrestler in the company. Warrior, maybe Vince wasn't 100% sure if he needs him to be champion, can you trust him as champion? Uh, 
him and your your your, 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 your yeah exactly and your audio was going a bit there wax but um you know and i think it was probably just the story was playing out he doesn't want this baby face to be that baby face is more macho will lose the title and i think the leg injury the knee injury is going to be a big part of that and i think the ultimate plan at this point no pun intended was rick flair against the ultimate warrior and i think the warrior would have been champion in that alternative reality but obviously there's lots that's going to happen in the coming weeks and months which is going to change maybe that trajectory and um, but another thing wax there's another rumor that has existed till today and i've never seen any official confirm it but it's something that's been folklore and people actually say that warrior was going to win the title here so our theory about trust rewarding the match to end doesn't work because the, the theory is that the warrior was going to be the one that turned heel so he was going to join up with mr perfect and rick flair that's the reason the match wasn't last, irrespective of the British Bulldog point of view. And Warrior would have left here as the heel champion, shocking the world. Now, you know, I think that's really fun to consider. And like I said, nobody I've seen officially confirm this, but the talk at the time was that Warrior pulled out last minute, saying that he couldn't risk his, you know, babyface um, uh, character going down and he couldn't, I guess, all the merchandise and everything, didn't want to lose all that. So then he pulled out on it. And therefore, we got this ending, which was essentially a non finish. I think the idea of that at the time, I would have hated it, but I think it could have worked if we connected storylines. And I just want to kind of spitball here with you, Booking, the way I would have done it if that would have happened. Is yeah, Warrior turns heel. Where this would end up, but go carry on. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I think, you know, he turns heel here, and I would have linked it to the Papa Shango curse afterwards. So he joins up with these guys. I would have had him coming out with just black face paint. And others have said he wouldn't run to the ring. He'd walk to the ring, act a bit, you know, and be really bad, be really vicious. And eventually he does turn babyface again because the curse gets removed. So you had an end. He had an end to how he could be this heel because essentially a lot of bad stuff's happened to him in the months leading up to this. But it wasn't to be. And we actually never saw a heel warrior um, from this point to, to when he retired. Yeah, let me go one step further. I think that could have worked only if you had Hulk Hogan coming back the following WrestleMania, which he to, did, to, which he did, him, um, in, in that big match. But I think, and people are saying, been... and we'll talk about this because that's one of the things people sometimes say that you know was that. So I mean, it's, this this is why we talk about this period. It's so interesting what could have been, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about all the iterations. I don't think it makes any business sense to do it at the time because there was no other big baby face around other than maybe Macho Man. They were still building towards Brett. Um, well, we thought they were building towards Brett, but they're subject to change. But yeah, at this point, these two were the biggest baby faces, right? I think, as you say, the warrior turning heel here, I don't know. I don't think people would reacted well to it. You know, we're talking about it, learning what happened later on with characters and heel turns being cool, but we're already talking about business being down in the US. It's super hot in the UK, but at this point, yeah, you're looking at the cards and who else fits in. But to your point, if this heel turn happens, it creates a new dynamic of who takes more we know Hulk Hogan will return. So yeah, it's interesting to think of what could have been, but I guess what would have been even in the more likely scenario was, you know, Warrior the Babyface getting his big title show, but we know that's not going to happen either. So yeah, I'm just, you know, it's going to be great talking about things that could have been and what was, um, and what was probably the most uh, interesting year in professional wrestling, certainly from this moment on, because another thing, Wax, before we move on, and this is crazy when you think about it, this match, the Macho Man is never going to main event in a singles match again in the WWF. Yeah, which is a shame which is it, the way his... It's incredible, isn't it? ...petered out at WWF. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a lot, obviously. Yeah, this. exactly. So it's incredible. I mean, this card, it really is, as you like to use the word, seminal moment, because if you're watching the show here, 
you could not predict what was going to happen, certainly. But um, to top it off, you know, I, I think a great match between two legends and it was the right match for such a big event, a big show. If, you know, ended in a non-finish, but I think, you know, as you say, the, the tandem at the end um, kept people happy. Time to move on, Fash, to the biggest gimmick in the WWF. Um, Kamala? Oh. <laughs> uh, Kamala. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's Kamala versus Undertaker and what could only be described as a horrible wrestling match. But <laughs> um, if you were a kid, I think you would have enjoyed just the whole uh, aura of the two going up against each other. Just completely different sort of get-ups. Uh, Kamala, obviously, from the deep, dark African jungle and Undertaker from Death Valley. But I think that's what made it work so well if you were of a certain age. But obviously, now you look back at the match itself, you think... It's such a short Kamala match, isn't gimmick. it? It's yeah, more of an angle than a match. It's more of you an know, for, for me, the memorable moment here, and I'm sure it's the same for you, is Undertaker's entrance. It's the hearse at that time. That was the coolest entrance he'd done, right? And probably still, if you look at all his entrances, one of the best ones. So I think, you know, Kamala, as you say, he's been back for a few months. Straight away, he's in a, a big feud with The Undertaker. Undertaker's feud with Berserker dropped. So you're thinking, and this is the first kind of big, huge guy the Warrior's going to take on. I'm sorry, the Warrior, The Undertaker's going to take on. Um, but as you say, it was a nothing match, you know, and, and really it didn't help with Kamala not being very fearsome. He was just shit scared of The Undertaker. Matches that the crowd weren't actually up for, um, and maybe that goes towards the lack of action in this match, or maybe the the high intensity of the previous match. That well, see, before. can I just jump in there? Was this a thing that at the time I think they were fatigued because this wasn't the next match actually for the audience. So we mentioned the Tatanka Berserker match that actually took place after Warrior against Savage. So I think by this point they are fatigued, and in a way, it makes sense why. This match was short because then there's another epic coming after it. And I think as you see outside of the, the Undertaker's entrance um, and at the end part, there's not much happening here. But in terms of, I mean, the actual match they have, um, there's not a lot to it. I mean, I like to see the choke slam from the Undertaker. And it looks like he's going for the tombstone. And then obviously Kim Chi comes in and basically gets the disqualification. And then we see that Ali talking to the next part of it, which, you know, is why The Undertaker was so popular in terms of the, the post-match stuff. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, he gets hit by this um, extraordinary hat of kimchi's must be super strength because um, it completely knocks out The Undertaker. Kamala goes up top and gets a splash on The Undertaker, not a move that you would want to take off Kamala, um, especially off that belly. Uh, but anyway, uh, Kamala thinks he's... You know, gotten one over the Undertaker, but that's that point. The Undertaker does his typical um, sort of getting uh, up from the dead setup. But you know, this was one of the best setups. He just timed it so well, and you know, they had that shot of him doing it. You know, that he comes up in the turn. It really was, uh, you know, Undertaker at his best at this point. He really had was owning the character. You know, we talked about ninety one to here, you know, but now he is truly the Undertaker and everything that he does. And nobody sells fear like Kamala does as he's running away. Down the down the ring ramp, and uh, you know that's the end of, of of Kamala for now, and we know this will continue on for a wee while. Yeah, and what you think about it, Wax? That's the thing. You know, here the audience was more giving, and we were giving. So you've had a counter victory. You know, I've got a disqualification. So we're, you're getting a lot of non finishes here, and we go back earlier as well. You know, with Martel and Michaels. You know, there's a lot of matches here that actually non finishes, but we don't really remember that because it's more about the characters and just the whole. I guess the whole display of everything, the whole spectacle of it all. Self, this whole um, point about finishes and does 
uh, disqualification, cannot finish takeaway from a match, something that I've always argued it doesn't or it shouldn't, but I know most wrestling fans absolutely hate when a match doesn't finish with the one, two, three. Well, this was, as you say, it's more of an angle, isn't it? This is essentially leading to the next part of the story. Um, And I think that's what, you know, this was, as opposed to, you know, being the ending. You know, we're talking about some of the matches here. It very much feels as if there's a one-off, match is done, we move on. This one was actually going to continue, similar to the stuff that was happening with Savage Warrior and, and Ric Flair, so... You know, but yeah, nothing match really, a dud, but great for the Undertaker entrance and great for the post-match shenanigans. The big match is here, Fash. The crowd is looking forward to it. Before we get going, we've got a couple of promos coming up. We've got the British Bulldog first with a message of reuniting the family, uh, but at the same time, he is wanting to become the IC champ. We've also got a promo from Brett, a bit of a heelish promo, I would say, saying he's got yep. the bulldog to where he is, uh, which, you know, he he means that when he says that. <laughs> yeah, <bring> that for- <laughs> um, and, you know, before the match even kicks off, we've actually got a very special guest. Roddy Piper is in the arena, um, gets a tremendous ovation, comes out to join the bagpipers who were playing, and grabs a bagpipe of his own and starts playing. And what I loved about this, Max, was Vince McMahon was making out to be such a big moment that they're playing Scotland the Brave or whatever, <laughs> not realising this is London, England again. And why would the crowd pop for this? Now, I know there's a lot of you know, people that, like ourselves, you know, we believe in Britain and not independence and all that kind of stuff. But it was just funny how he was making out like this was the biggest thing ever. You're in London, England, and most of the crowd's not going to care about this bagpipe show and the fact that they're playing Scotland the Brave. But once again, it was just tone deaf from Vincent Mann and I thought it was just hilarious because the crowd loves Piper, but I don't think they really knew how to react to this um, this show of bagpipes. Yeah, bagpipes were a little bit um, off altogether because, I mean, why would you have bagpipes in um, in London? But anyway, Piper was playing these bagpipes really well, so I went out and did some research, and it turns out that bag- Piper did actually learn to play the bagpipes as a youngster, so he's not actually just looking yeah. to playing the bagpipes. I think he is actually genuinely playing the bagpipes, uh, which is a tremendous talent. Um, yeah, it was own. good to see. This is a great cameo. And doing something different, so I did enjoy that watching again, and especially being Scots, it was great to see our, our fellow Scotsman Rowdy Roddy Piper come out uh, for a cameo and play the bagpipes. So it certainly was a big hit for me. Yeah, straight after this, we have uh, a little interview with Diana Hart, who is obviously Brett's sister and married to the Bulldog. Um, she's in the crowd. I think she's only you know a few seats away from the the, the front of the ring. Um, she's wearing this iconic brown coat that I've never forgotten. Um, You've been trying to buy this coat for the last 30 30 years, so you've still not been able to get hands on it, but maybe Diana's listening to us and she'll she'll maybe send hers across to you. You had this coat bash from what I recall. (laughs) Oh, you got me. No, it was more of people, it was more of a Del Boy type jacket I had. If people watch the UK show Only Fools and Horses, I had one of those back in the uni days. Uh, I'm not, not too proud of that. If you say so, Fash. Um, but uh, she's wearing this uh, brown coat, as I've never forgotten, and it's a very iconic moment uh, later on in the match, which, again, you'll see again. Uh, but anyway, she's acting very sombre. She's talking about, um, you know, how serious this whole situation has gotten to. And actually, she compares herself to a wife of someone on the front lines, which um, I thought was a little bit over the top. 
And if it happened, if that was said today, you could you could. I bet it's Vincent, that, man. You know, he probably put the mute on and he's like, "Say it, damn it, say it, say it." Definitely. Um, the interview was done by Sean Mooney. Obviously, we don't um, see Sean Mooney for very many years after this, but um, an interesting. Uh, actually, yeah, I really he sticks around until about '93, doesn't he? I think you're firing him before he does, but yeah, he was one of the iconic names alongside Lord Alfred Hayes and, of course, Mean Gene Okerlund. Um, Sean Mooney, I'm sure we'll talk about him in the future. I remember at the time I never used to be that impressed with Sean Mooney compared to Mean Gene, but, um, you know, like anyone else, I appreciate him a bit more now. Yeah, let's get down to the match itself. British Bulldog comes out first and he's accompanied by Lennox Lewis. Some jabroni, some jabroni called Lennox Lewis comes out with him to zero reaction and nobody knows who he is. And he's what, is he the European champion or something? Or the yeah, Commonwealth champion, he's just a jabroni at this point. Interestingly, exactly. This is very much uh, a few years way too early for you know his big shot at the world title, which he would eventually win, um, and he would become a really big name throughout world boxing. But at this point, yeah. it made no sense to have Lennox Lewis, of all people, uh, walking down the ring with him. Yeah. Unless he was fishing for a contract. Um, I don't know, because I'm trying to remember the history of Lennox Lewis. Was he at Olympic... I think he was in yeah, Olympic yeah he was. I think that happened. He'd won his first title, so I, I guess for them it was like you know this guy. But yeah, at the time I was like not fussed by this at all. Uh, but in hindsight, it's quite funny because years later down the line, Mister Man would have loved to have had Lennox Lewis on his show. So uh, there you go. Um, at this point, the British Bulldog and Bret Hart are more popular than uh, this man. Bulldog certainly gets an, a, a tremendous ovation from the crowd. Bret comes out next, looking every inch a champion, an intercontinental champion. Anyway, I'd get some mixed reception, I would say, uh, relative to his normal reaction. And again, that's basically because of the opponent that he's up against. Yep. Um, talking about championships, the, the IC belt looks tremendous every time you see it. This is the uh, best version of the IC title. I've hated every single version of it post that. And the current stuff is just rubbish, right? This, for me, is the Intercontinental title. Um, the, the iconic belt, there was nothing like it. And if you put this against the world title uh, at that time, the Eagle Belt, which was your favourite, Fash? That's quite a question, Wax. You know what? I like the wing. The wing deal was amazing, but I'd probably say Intercontinental title. I always like the look of it. What about yeah. you? Um, I would say the Intercontinental title as well. But you know what? I really like the white version of this, the, the white belted. Um, well, I used one. to love it when the Warriors used to change it all the time when he was champion. And yeah, afterwards there was the white. And Razor Ramon had a few different types didn't he but yeah I just thought yeah the title looked really cool at the time yeah anyway we start the match off with you know both guys coming to the centre of the ring uh, facing off uh, some great mat wrestling to begin uh, sharp bursts of pace then slowed down uh, and they really knew what they were doing or at least one of them really knew what they were doing we'll come to that maybe we'll come to that later on but some great reversals throughout this opening sort of five minutes and I thought, that you know, just how clean was some of the wrestling that they were doing? It was just spot on. And now, obviously, these days, everybody sort of rehearses every single bit of every move. But that wasn't always the case back then. And it just, again, it's amazing to see how smooth both wrestlers were, both technicians, I would say. Yeah, but, you know, the interesting thing is here we don't appreciate the greatness of Bret Hart. Because when you're watching it then, and even maybe a few years later, you're thinking both guys, are you say, technically proficient. And both sides are doing it, but it's you know after that down the line you realize just how great Brett was not just planning out stuff but calling stuff and knowing the crowd and you see the psychology of it building up. I mean this is just a masterclass, um, and and you know really up to this point. You no, know, this is our last match. 
we hadn't really seen a match like this up to this point. Now it's the IC title going last, uh, so it's not you know we've seen match romance, steamboat, etc. But this is last, but it was just very different. And um, you know, I'll let you carry on in terms of how they build this up. Um, it really was something special to see. So I think at back then, when I was disappointed about why is Warrior match man not last, as a kid you were getting into this, and no matter who you were, what age you were, you were going to get into this because it was such an amazing story. Yeah, I mean, despite both being tremendous throughout the whole match, there was one moment, one dodgy moment in the match yeah. where Brett goes uh, for a sort of slingshot over the top rope. He's supposed to be caught by uh, Bulldog, but Bulldog goes the opposite way. And Brett, to stop his fall, he grabs the back of um, Bulldog's head and almost turns into a, yeah. a horrible neck breaker, which would have been um, really bad for both. Uh, but, you know, th- they make up for it thereafter. Brett trying to wear down Bulldog in the middle of the match. Um, you know, and this is when Brett starts to wrestle like a heel because he hears the audience um, almost boo him when he's attacking uh, the Bulldog. He makes a couple of gestures to the crowd. He looks at them and, you know, with that sort of heelish face that you have sometimes. Um, I have sometimes. <laughs> that you have sometimes. And it certainly looks like, you know, the fans definitely know who they're, who they're going for. Uh, and Brett really is the, the heel of this match. It had to be. I mean, like I say, because the British border, there's no way Bret Hart uh, was going to come out as a baby face here or even, you know, split the crowd. And, and Brett as a great opponent. And probably a bit of fun for him as well, because, you know, as a single star, he's been a baby face and he won't be a proper heel till 1997. So I think he was enjoying this as well, playing the crowd. But yeah, he had them in the palm of his hands. And, you know, it was a very clear distinction here that, you know, if Bret Hart was taking on someone else, he would be getting huge cheers, but it's British Bulldog. The crowd is willing it on, and the way it's been set up with them coming out, the hype around it, you know, the crowd is desperate for the British Bulldog to do this somehow. And and they built, they did a tremendous job of building to a finish. You know, every few minutes there would be, uh, Brett would be working over Bulldog. Bulldog would almost you know, come back, but Brett would slow him back down yeah. again in the middle of the ring. Um, you know, just getting the anticipation building for the Bulldog's eventual comeback which does come and you know this match goes some you know 35 40 minutes i think um and uh brett even puts on the sharpshooter in unique fashion you know they're both lying down um and he sort of somehow managed to get it on one of the used to do things- that later on as well yeah unique ones and i did that quite a lot after this but that was a great thing about brett as well he'd find different ways of applying the sharpshooter um you know from this period onwards and you see it's a great way he puts it on and obviously Bulldog's that big muscly guy so can he turn him over and can he really get it cinched in yeah and it's, it's an interesting story that Brett tells in his book about how he came up with this idea he was thinking about it one night and uh, uh, late at night and randomly wakes up his wife and asks her to lie down on the floor so he could test it out um, so you know Brett obviously a very serious guy when it comes to, to the art of wrestling um, goes to any length to put on a good show. But anyway, he has the, the sharpshooter on tight, um, but Bulldog does break out of it, and I think the announcers make a point of saying it's the first person to have broken out the sharpshooter, first person to have done that. Um, and that sort of leads up to... Uh, and actually, before that, I even mentioned there's a, a, a power slam. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. The Bulldog, uh, and the same reaction is no one's ever kicked out of the power slam, so they're really... And this is before false finishes, right? Now everybody kicks everybody. Everyone's main move and finisher um, and it's been a problem in the last 10 years or more but here it never really happened and that's why it was few and far between the instances but yeah as you say 
Bulldog goes for the power slam. The crowd thinks that's it. Brett kicks out, and then afterwards, they see the sharpshooter situation. Yeah, there's even a top rope suplex, which again was very rare back in the day mm-hmm. uh, from Brett, and that doesn't get the job done either. We talked about the sharpshooter and the Bulldog getting out of it. Uh, and towards the very, very end, we've got um, a sunset flip by Brett. Uh, but the Bulldog, instead of going down, uh, he sits down using the legs of Brett and gets the pen. It sort of comes out out of nowhere, but it is one of the loudest cheers I think I've ever heard. And I remember at Time Wax, and even I don't watch a pop because it was such a unique finish. I say it's abrupt, but it's just brilliant because, you know, how he just captures them and, you know, pins them. It was such a unique way of doing it, and it really Brett Hart, Someone tell you at WrestleMania 8 had shown as a finisher and you know Rowdy Piper had him in the sleeper hold and he kicked the turnbuckles and pinned him. Well, here it happened to Brett where he's going for, as you see, the sunset flip, gets caught, Bura pins him down, one, two, three, the crowd erupts and the, the local man, um, Britain's own British Bulldog, is now the Intercontinental Champion of the World. I mean, we're not doing, because our job is not to do play-by-play when we do these kind of shows, you know, for podcast specials, yes, but the point is, you know, we couldn't do this justice, how great it is. And an example of it is, Wax, I've got this memory. So in 1987, I went to Pakistan to see my family. And just at that time, you know, I'd try and get wrestling VHS and show them. And there was a local provider that had them, but it was all random stuff. And there was one paper that was just 1990 to about 1992, a lot of Bret Hart stuff in it. And the last match on this VHS was this match. And we were all watching around the room, right? And I said, you need to watch this. And everyone was involved from the youngest person to the oldest person watched this match and were so engrossed and that's you know you don't need to know the language you don't need to understand the commentary all i explained to them was this guy's sister is married to that guy so it's a family thing and they were then looking at diana in the crowd because remember there's very shots of diana throughout this match looking concerned and they were so into it and that's the story and that's when professional wrestling is at its best at the end when you know bulldog wins there was a pop i remember and then obviously the next bit that we're going to you're going to talk about in the ring but they loved it and that was a great kind of sample example if i'd like to rhyme that way um that you know it just engrossed people and you know that's what bret hart was so great at doing um, and this match is such a great example of it yeah i think it's an example of you don't have to always finish a match by using somebody's finisher yeah then have to ruin a match by doing a count out finisher disqualification you can have a pin attempt coming out of nowhere it doesn't have to be a small package uh which is the sort of go-to these days yeah. Um, Even the know, past, wasn't it? The small package was the, the the abrupt ending as opposed to, you know, this kind of unique stuff. Yeah, and you just need somebody with a bit of a brain, you know, to think of something a bit different. It does work. The crowds do buy it, and I think it really does help. It, it helps continue a feud, not necessarily end a feud, but it helps continue a, a feud, which is really good. We talk about the end of the match. Um, you know, incredible performance from both. Brett initially turns his back, um, you know, uh, but when the Bulldog turns around to him one more time, they shake hands. In comes Diana, crying her eyes out um, as if somebody's died. Um, joins well, you can ring. have cry. You can. I'm not really an emotional guy, Wax, as you know. But, you know, in this case, you got to give it to her. I thought her acting's been pretty bad. You've been saying she deserves an Oscar. But I thought here the emotion was justified, man. It's her brother against her husband. What do you want her to do? 
<laughs> Fair enough. But she could, she could be happy. She could well, it could be happy tears. I mean, she was emotional about the situation. It was, um, you know, I thought it was fine. I mean, I mean, it's not like when we used to wrestle back in, you know, in the backyard and on beds and things and anywhere else. You know, we'd fight in your lobby and I'd beat you every single time and you'd cry. But there was different tears. There were tears of, you know, losing and never being able to beat the best. In this case, it was just emotion. Yeah, at least to that iconic picture of Dan in the middle holding up both men's hands, looking out into the audience, and uh, even Bobby Heenan is impressed. He goes, "What a family!" Uh, as <laughs> what a family is <laughs> has multiple meanings. I think uh, about them, you know, fighting, and now they're all hugging and all this kind of stuff. And we get a firework display as well to to really, you know, put a full stop on everything. And the crowd can't be happier. It was the perfect ending to a perfect match, Wax. But five out of five. If I, we're not rating any stars, but if it's a five star match, this is a five star match. I don't think it's a match that any competitor today could put on the way they did it. Um, today, they would just want to rush through it as many high spots as possible. Um, they did it in traditional wrestling fashion. Bret Hart was Bret Hart. But the thing is, right, I'm going to ask you a question. Is this the greatest singles match in SummerSlam history? Oh, you put that's a long, That's a big history. But is it the greatest? You know, from a technical point of view, I think it is probably the greatest. I don't think you see other matches like this. Maybe for drama and um, entertainment, you you do get some later on, which potentially... But nothing's uh, coming to your mind, is it? Nothing's coming to your mind? But this is the one that we grew up watching. You know, this is I the think, one that- I, you know, I will say, and, you know, we are, you know, we loved the next era that's going to come in terms of Attitude Era and the hottest shows. But, you know, I'm going to say pure wrestling match. This is the greatest wrestling match in SummerSlam history i'll go out and say that and keen to hear you know drop us a line um if you disagree what do you think was better than this but you know as you see we're still talking about it nearly 30 years later wax and who would have thought that this would really be we've talked about bret hart summer sam 91 mr perfect wrestlemania 8 roddy piper but i think this was the true coming out party in terms of showing that i'm on last year um and I've really just ripped it to shreds. And, and you know, I'm something special. And I keep talking about Brett Wax. And I'm not talking about our own British Bulldog. And there's later on to realize why. And, you know, there's a rationale behind why I'm just talking about Brett and not the Bulldog here. Well, let me set the stage. Obviously, we got Brett's book come out, um, you know, several years ago now. We both read that with, um, I think, amazement. Because it was such a, you know, honest. It was a brilliant book. Brilliant book as well, Yeah. <laughs> down exactly what he's been through in his career um but anyway he, he talks about the build-up to the match first and you know how the bulldog was absent from shows because of a leg injury and actually if you go back and notice brett does a couple of matches but bulldog isn't actually yeah. on, on the shows instead of it's just promos um uh, he claims that bulldog's been ignoring his calls in the run-up to the match um when he in, eventually catches him not catches him confronts him in england uh bulldog lets out that you know how high he's been getting for the last month yeah. um, consistently, constantly with um, nobody else but Jim the Anvil Nightheart. <laughs> Both of them getting that together. That Anvil. Yeah, that Anvil. Um, uh, this is all in Brett's book, you know. Yeah, and Anvil's not even in the company, right? He's been let go because of his problems, um, but he's, he's still causing some chaos. And yeah, I'll let you carry on with that, but it's very disappointing stuff. The moment that really stands out, obviously, is when the match begins. And within the first few minutes, uh, the iconic quote, Brett, I'm fucked. And I'm sure, I'm sure somebody could do 
that Wigan accent better than me, but I uh, thought that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Anyway, he he was literally out on his feet because you know his cardio wasn't up to scratch. He um, forgot he the match, but he basically the forgot match the match plan, uh, which would be laid out beforehand. Um, you know, uh, Brett goes, you know, during the match, I went up like a feather, he went up like a full refrigerator. Um, it's Brett considers Brett considers the total outcome of this match to be his best match ever because he had to carry the bulldog through the match. Um, and we know that Brett loves himself, right? So uh, if Brett Hart was ice cream, he'd eat himself. But the thing is, I've never really seen Bulldog really, after this point really dispute what happened. Um, obviously, it was in Brett's book explicitly later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, you couldn't tell. I say there's a couple of moments there, similar to what we were seeing with our, you know, Hawk earlier in the day, who was also fucked. Um, you know, that that you can now see it. But at the time, you thought both of these guys were on it. And it was definitely a partnership to get this match over the line. And you couldn't make it out. But I say, Buddha, a big guy, cardio not there where it should be. His cardio was way better afterwards when he kind of toned down a little bit. But according to Brett, yeah, he'd forgotten the match. So this makes it even more impressive that one guy carried it to this level. Um, and I think that's probably, once again, you know, Vince McMahon's going to have a lot of considerations in the coming weeks and months. And I think this the way Brett carried himself and how he delivered this uh, goes a long way to the decisions that are going to be made. But yeah, at the time, and even you know a little time after this, you didn't have a clue what was going on. And yeah, we'll take Brett's word for it. Yeah, I mean, I'll give Bulldog some credit. I mean, even executing it without remembering happened. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you can tell you the ending part. You know, it was all... You couldn't tell. You couldn't tell. I would say of a few moments, like you say, um, maybe missing a spot here and there, but it's, it's not... It's not really visible. No. A truly memorable match to end what I thought was a truly memorable pay-per-view, especially for us uh, in the UK and especially for us watching in that era. I don't think you would disagree, Fash. Absolutely not. I mean, you know, as you say, going through this card, we did see some stuff that wasn't impressive. But I think, as we keep saying, the presentation made it. And I still enjoyed watching this. It's certainly a two-match card, and some might even argue it's a one-match card. I think that's a bit harsh. I think definitely, you know, Warrior Match Man delivered in this match, as I say, I think it's a five-star match. So those two matches people still talk about. But it was everything else from the Road Warriors, the LOD, sorry, coming out on the motorbikes, Undertaker with the hearse, uh, the comedy of Shawn Michaels and Martell and Sherry, um, and just the appearances of all these kind of vibrant characters. Um, and, you know, this is going to be a footnote wax because... You'd go as we keep saying, you move from this event to the next one, and there's going to be a lot of changes. A lot of people we're not going to see, and you know, some characters are going to go away, and other big changes are going to happen. So it's a fascinating period. I really think this is the last show of what is the golden era of that time, and we just didn't know at the time that this was it. So, in a way, with all the things that are going to come, what a way to go out in terms of that golden era to do it in front of you know 80,000 people at Wembley Stadium. I know you said this figure's not being disputed. I've seen a few who dispute it on Twitter recently, but we'll go with the fact that it was 88,000 Wembley Stadium. And at this moment, you know, you leave this show and you think the British Bulldog is going to be huge yeah. for years. And there's a story behind that. <laughs> the British Bulldog's not even going to be at the next pay-per-view. So this moment is all about the Bulldog. And you're thinking the Rocket's been strapped on him. He's going to go and, you know, be one of the biggest stars in the company. Um, but yeah. Uh, th this is why the show is so fascinating 
um, because this is it. Really, does the British Bulldog have a bigger moment than this in his career, Wax? He's obviously going to go away, come back in 94. He's going to have a really strong run. Then he goes to WCW for a bit, comes back. But is this the greatest moment in the Bulldog's career? Definitely, as a singles competitor, definitely this is the highlight. But it shouldn't have been, as you know. It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't shouldn't have been. been. He should have gotten um, so much more over the the next five years. But it was actually Brett, and we'll talk about his rise over the next few episodes. You know, we spent so long building up to this particular event, SummerSlam 92, so long working on this particular period that I've completely forgotten what happens next. So I'm going to have to go back to Superstars and uh, Wrestling Challenge and catch up uh, ahead of our next show, which I'm sure will be very soon. But yeah. I hope you enjoy this two-part SummerSlam um, review. I really enjoyed doing it. It's definitely one of my favourite events of all time. And I think anybody who watched it live or you know, even watches it back today will de- definitely agree it stands the test of time. Absolutely. And like we said in the last episode, part one, maybe the UK gets another SummerSlam next year on the 30th anniversary. We'll wait and watch and see what happens there. But yep, in our next episode, we will now look at the era post SummerSlam 1992 and yeah things are a changing in the coming weeks and months uh, we'll also cover what's happening in present professional wrestling we need to do some of those wrestling with present shows wax we we're trying to find some time trying to just manage everything on our side so yeah look out for more shows if you've not seen the story up to now check out our previous shows on YouTube or your favorite podcasting platform we have covered everything really from mid-1991 to this point in meticulous detail behind the scenes and what we saw in front of our eyes so we'll continue to do that as ever give us your feedback check us on instagram twitter wax is saying a lot of crazy things on twitter he's the one that runs that one i can't say i always agree with his opinions um but definitely yeah just interact with us check it out and we hope you're enjoying this as ever take care of yourselves and keep wrestling with those memories